Hi, if I could take a moment of your time before we start. If you've enjoyed previous episodes or if you enjoy this episode, if you could subscribe on the platform that you listen to, that would be really helpful. It helps us get more guests and push the podcast forward. Thanks. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Car Chat Podcast. And with me today, I have Mr. Dan Prosser. Hello. Hello, mate. Thank you for having me back. Yeah, it's good to have you back. This, for those that have not come across Dan or haven't come across him on this podcast, we did one, we recorded it. It's sort of the end of 2019, so mm. pre the end of the world. and um, Before COVID was a thing, before we knew the word all of this coronavirus. Stuff. Um, and in, in that podcast, we discussed sort of who you are, what you do, and your journey to date of being an automotive journalist and now podcaster and presenter and all of these things. Mm-hmm. So what have you been up to? What have you been up to since I last saw you? 2019. That was a long time ago. Well, it's, yeah, honestly, I was trying to work out when it was that we recorded that first podcast because it seems like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Mm. So much has happened. The world has changed beyond recognition since then. And I was just trying to figure out when it was. And I, I worked it out because I think I'd only had my A110 for a couple of months and yes. I brought that to your place. So yeah, I knew it must've been end of 19 or maybe early 20. Um, but it's since then, it's just been odd, hasn't it? You know, <laughs> I've done so little traveling in the, the sort of year and a bit since we spoke, very few events, but I have driven plenty of cars because the cars keep coming. You know, and they, they, they're still made available to people like me to, to test. So, yeah, I've been in and out of some pretty good stuff in that time. But it's just been, it's been odd. All of it, all of the work I've done, maybe everything I've done actually in that time has been UK-based, which has been quite nice at times, actually. But it's just, it's just been a really odd way of working. Yeah. Have you sort of got your home test route all set up now? You're like, I know if a car arrives, I start filming here, whatever. Do you have like a... You set process now or dialed in. That, do you know what? That is a very good point. We, because we've been filming uh, locally to us so much more, 
Um, I've, I've figured out a route that goes down to Cheddar Gorge. Um, Cheddar Gorge itself, I don't know if you've driven through it, but I've it's, it's hopeless for driving through. It's a 30 mile an hour limit. Yeah. Um, but it looks stunning. Have you, have you taken pictures there? No, I've just, I think I've driven through it once. Mm. Yeah, it, it looks stunning. It's a great spot for, for photos as long as it's not busy. Um, but there are lots of good driving roads nearby. Um, and so I've got, it's probably a 45 minute loop or something, but it's got a bit of everything. And you know what these things are like when you, when you have a route and you take lots of cars around it, mm. you begin to learn what this surface does to a certain type of car, what these corners demand of a car. Um, and so it, it just really helps you assess a car quickly. Uh, so yeah, I've got my, I've got my little route near to home now and it's, it's great. What's been, I've, I've had a little look through things you've driven since I've last seen you and mm. winding back. Well, actually, no, let's just, let's go from most recent. I don't know what, this may not be the most recent car, but the most recent car I've seen, yeah. you finally drove a V12 mm. Ferrari. My God, finally. Okay, so it wasn't quite true that I hadn't driven <laughs> a V12 Ferrari because I had moved Chris Harris's uh, F12 from just off the driveway outside my old house onto the driveway in my old house. So... 20 yards, yeah. maybe. And, I, and I'd also driven his 512TR from just outside Bristol to inside Bristol. Okay, yeah. Is that a V12? I mean, that's a whole different discussion. But the, yeah, the point being, I'd never had a proper, proper go in a modern V12 Ferrari. And that was, like, that was one of the big boxes I'd somehow left unticked. I don't really know how that happened. I guess, I mean, it's... It's an unusual thing to get to drive a V12 Ferrari, isn't it? And yeah. for some reason, they'd all pass me by. Um, but yeah, it was a couple of weeks ago now, uh, 812 GTS, and my first go in a proper V12 Ferrari, and it was, yeah, stunning. That engine, I'm sure you've driven them. Or I've driven F12. Yeah, and, well, they, and the engines are just bonkers, aren't they? They really they are. are. They are outrageous. And it's, sometimes I think, Oh, I think my favourite kind of engine. It's a, it's a, it's a good V8 or it's a V10, but it's not. When you drive an amazing V12, you think, okay, yeah, they are, they are a cut above, aren't they? They're, they're just so special. Yeah. Um, and the one in this 812 GTS. I mean, I think uh, Ferrari are going to announce a new. You'll know more than this about this than I will. But they're about to announce a new version of the 812, aren't they? And it might be yeah. a TDF, it might be a GTO, but it's going to be proper track focused you know, pull pin type thing. And that will, I'm sure that will be louder, faster, angrier, even more spectacular. And the GTS is like the opposite of that, isn't it? It's like the most civilized, refined, relaxed, Grand Tourer-ish yeah. one that they've done. Um, even so, the engine is wild. It's just actually not that loud. And I think uh, okay. because it's, it's I th- it might be the first V12 Ferrari with a gasoline particulate filter. So it's not, like ear-splittingly loud, but I like that because it's still got tune and musicality mm. to it. But it's just you're just not upsetting everyone within a mile radius as you blast along the road. I thought it was cool. Yeah, so many engines don't have that kind of like voice-like capacity. They just go louder and <clears> quieter. <throat> whereas, yeah, like a Porsche six or the Ferrari V12, mm. like they have a real character and a real like song when they get up there. Um, mm. but yeah, I think that's true. I, the annoying thing I find, I, I think that engine 
just hitting the start button on those engines mm. is like you're like ooh, I'm in something special. <laughs> this is gonna be sick. But yeah, they're never in a car that for me is like set up fundamentally to be really fun to drive. Like a mm. long bonnet GT car is the one you have that engine in, and that. Mm. How do you find that experience of driving that car? Because I, I find it a bit odd driving those cars. We're such mm. so far away from the front. Yeah, you're, you've got acres of bonnet in front of you. You're sitting a long way back. It just means that you drive them in a certain way. You sort of pour them into corners rather than... You don't hustle those things into a bend. You're not coming into, into the apex on the ABS, feeling the, the balance yeah. of the car shift... Some people might do that. I don't do that in a 300 grand Ferrari. Yeah, on the know, road. On the road. <laughs> I just, I think you, you drive it in a slightly different way. Um, yeah, and it's that GTS, it's, it's like an 1800 plus kilo car. Um, and it's, it, that's the drop top one. So you, you feel the body sort of fidgeting a little bit because, you know, the, the roof has been chopped off. Um, and it does feel its weight, particularly when you're on a, a sort of yumpy, cresty road. You feel that the suspension actually isn't managing. Well, with fuel and me on board, it's the best part of two tons, isn't it? That's a yeah. hell of a lot of weight. It is. Um, and so it, it just sort of d- defines how a car like that drives. And it just means that you wind it back a little bit. So you, you're quite right, actually. Imagine that engine in something that really invited you to go all in and really attack a road, that would be wild. There's, I mean, there is a car that's like that, the laugh. I've not driven one. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's it. That's it. It's that, that, that's where you get that experience, isn't it? In the mid-engined hypercar stuff, probably. Yeah. I've not driven a laugh either, but yeah, you're right. Engine behind you, so you've got much better visibility. You see the road in front of you. You've just got more of that confidence to get right on top of the car. Yeah, we need yeah. to have a go on one of those. When you look at hypercars, do you get excited by hypercars? It's such a good topic at the moment, isn't it? It's such a good topic. I can't help but be a bit excited by them because there's that schoolboy top, top trumps thing. And, you know, that some of the engineering is outrageous. The Valkyrie, yeah. who knows what that thing's actually going to turn out to be like, but the claims that they made for it are astonishing. I think it's telling that the one hypercar that people really seem to be on board with is the Gordon Murray one, and it mm. doesn't have crazy power, relatively speaking. It's got a manual box. You know, it doesn't have whatever crazy track day tyres on it. And that is the one that people seem to be going, oh, you know what, I'm into a bit of that. And I hope that the industry and other hypercar makers sort of sit up and go, wow, he's had a good response to that, hasn't he? Maybe there's something in this for us because it's so different to that McLaren P1, McLaren Senna, um, you know, Ferrari, LaFerrari thing of, ever quicker lap times ever more power ever quicker paddle shift gearboxes and i think we we've long since got to a point where adding those things has ceased to make a car more exciting or more fun to drive particularly on the road so i'm i get all this fatigue around hypercars i really do get it and i mean you'll know this as well as i it's it's sort of creeping into the supercar world as well yeah, drive an F8, drive a 765 LT. You have the same issue in those cars as you do in a hypercar on the road. Yeah, I increasingly feel like I'd, I'm just not prepared to take the chances on, yeah. on the public highway in those things. You know, a bit of acceleration through the gears, 
around a couple of corners, and you're going so fast. So I just, fast. I just, and if you're not, if you're not going so fast, the car just feels dull and yeah. uninteresting and aloof. And yeah, you, it's weird. You, you've got to drive at the speed that you can see on a road. Mm. Like, you, if you drive faster than that, you're so always in. So you need to be able to stop in a reasonable amount of time based on what you can see. If you drive faster than that, which all of these modern supercars offer in their sort of mm. turbocharged, maybe hybrid V8, whatever, V6, doesn't really sound that good engine. All of those cars just merge into one. And mm. I've historically, if someone said to me, okay, do hypercars excite you? I go, well, yes and no. The ones that I look at and I can pull apart the bits and you can essentially, I think I can do a reasonably good breakdown of a car just by reading a spec sheet nowadays, pretty much. And mm-hmm. like, who's mm-hmm. designing it? And you go, okay, it's got a V12 in it. You're like, mm, this is going to be better than a four-cylinder, probably, like from an oral experience. Then you go, is it a manual gearbox? Okay, maybe it's probably more engaging. Is it designed for high downfalls? That's probably a, a cross for me for road driving. Like, what is mm-hmm. the point? Absolutely no idea why you True. would do that. And then how heavy is it? Like, mm. is it more than 1,500 kilos or something? Like, I, if it's two tons, I just couldn't care less how much horsepower it has. I kind of couldn't care less how much <laughs> a car ha- horsepower a car has over 600 anyway. Like, it just mm. doesn't necessarily add more other than that straight line blast. The, Stop. the car industry and car makers got themselves hooked on these crazy power outputs. Um, and the trouble, we've spoken about this a lot on our podcast. It's, you know, the moment you've got a lot of power, you need a lot of spring rate, you need a lot of suspension, you need a lot of tire, you need a lot of brake. Yeah. Brakes. And the, the, the whole car, it just snowballs and the car gets bigger and heavier, heavier and heavier. Um, and so you've got all this power, but you just can't use the stuff. Yeah. Um, and the car's way heavier than it should be. You know, it's I, the last time I saw you in person was at that London, uh, no, the uh, Hampton Court Concourse, yes, wasn't it? That was a sick. We event. bumped into each other at the at the Lotus stand. Um, that was quite funny, actually, because you take you've taken some pictures of the Avaya, haven't you? Yeah, and I've uh, spent quite a lot of time talking to those guys. Mm, it's a stunning-looking car. I think it looks incredible. What was it two thousand horsepower? Yeah. Uh, 1700 something kilos is it that it's much just nuts, is it less it? than that I it's, think it might be less do, I, do you know what I, I, look, I did look this up because when I was there at that show I got talking to Gav Kershaw yeah. and I just said to him it's quite interesting I just said to him so how do you transpose all those traditional Lotus values onto a heavier car I said heavier car and he said he sort of bit back he said well it's not heavy I said, oh, no, 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 heavier than, yeah. <laughs> than an Avora or a, a Lease or whatever. Um, and it was, there was like a funny defensiveness about it. Um, and I looked it up and it's, it's a bit less than 1,600 kilos. So it's, no, no, sorry, it's, it's about 17, oh, I'd have to check again, but it's around, around 1,600, 1,700 kilos. So it's, you know, it's less than, it's less than something like the Rimac, which is a two-ton car. Yeah. But it's, it's, it's much more than a, a McLaren. It really is. And I just, I don't know, maybe when we drive this thing, we'll, we'll sort of get it, we'll understand. 
But I would far rather have, a, from Lotus, I'd far rather have, even if it's an electric car, just make it, do what you can, make it 12, 1300 kilos. I don't need 2000 horsepower. Give it, yeah, it seems bonkers, but give it half that. Give it a quarter of that. And that'll be plenty. And then work your magic on it. And I bet there would be a fantastic car in there. But at the moment, I just can't begin to imagine what you do with a 2,000 horsepower car on the road. I think it's, it's sort of like this marketing. I'm making an electric car, therefore. And then there's a few companies that are doing it. It's a 2,000 horsepower car by, like using parts from XYZ. Lotus have done a lot of their own stuff. But you get like the Pininfarina. Mm. That's essentially the Rimac. Like all this stuff. And for them to... To, to give the 2,000 horsepower peak number, they just put some big motors in it. That is actually not all of the weight of the car. You know, it's the battery packs and the, the cooling and all that sort of stuff adds the... Um, motors are pretty heavy. If you ever picked up an electric motor, mm. they are pretty heavy. But I totally agree with you. But then moving forward, they've tied up with one of your favourite brands, Alpine. Yeah. And yeah. they're going to be doing an electric car together, which I think is interesting doesn't doesn't really excite me though i think someone that you've been asking for questions on twitter did, today haven't you and maybe uh-huh. we'll get onto them but someone asked am i excited about evs and it, you're right excitement's not the right word is it i'm not no. excited about evs but i am curious about them and you've said this yourself i, I listened to your podcast with henry and i saw some of your tweets I, we will all be running around cities soon in electric cars those of us mm. who live in them will probably use electric cars um and attitudes, I think, will change quite quickly. And we'll think it was bonkers that we ever drove petrol and diesel cars in these places, these packed-in, densely yeah. populated places where we all live and we all breathe. We will, attitudes will change very quickly and we'll, we'll come to think that that was completely intolerable that we ever did that. And it's a good thing. It's therefore a good thing that most people eventually will be knocking around town in electric cars. That is a... Yeah. I, I endorse that. I also like driving electric cars in town because they're quiet, they're serene, they're easy. So they absolutely have their place. What's interesting is you just mentioned it, Lotus, Alpine coming together to collaborate on an electric sports car. So this is where my curiosity comes in. Those two marks working together, all, all their engineering know-how, you know, well, their back catalogues, particularly Lotuses, it's just... It's, I, I don't know, surely the talent that they have, they're going to come up with something, aren't they? Aren't they going to come up with something that's exciting to drive the way you and I associate with great combustion engine cars? So that's my sort of curiosity and intrigue. Um, but at the moment, I just don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. it, it I think it has to be, and we, we will see it, Porsche is spending a lot of money on it, synthetic fuels. And I don't think we'll have a complete replacement. Everyone will go to synthetic fuels. But I think synthetic fuels will become a thing because we're going to have so many cars on the road that are not electric because you've got this back catalogue and all these electric Mm. cars are all damn expensive. Um, Mm. And I actually thought the the new McLaren, Artura, is that what it's called? Um, The Arthur, yeah. Yeah, the Arthur is... um, I thought it was really interesting what they've done with it. But this, and this is one of those things where you go, I find the car really interesting. I think the levels they've gone to to reduce weight, the tech, all of the stuff, the emissions figure, 
I don't know how they've got the emissions figure. It's super low. Um, mm. All this sort of stuff, you go, interesting. But for me, that formula would be so much better if it was a naturally aspirated hybrid. If yeah, it was an engine it? that revved to like mm. 10. <laughs> yeah. And it was 1,200 kilos, five, six, 600 horsepower. You could be electric around town like that. That's exciting. That would be pretty cool. Yeah, you're right, actually. Um, do we even need to downsize and bolt on turbochargers these days if we're going to have electric motors there as well? Possibly not, but I think the, the engineers would come at it from the other angle and say, well, actually, if, you, if you've got a turbocharged engine and you put an electric motor on it, you can therefore have a smaller turbocharged engine because you can have quicker, quicker throttle response. You can wind up the, you know, you can torque fill with the electric motor. That's what they'll come back to you and say. Whereas you and I would go, no, 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 forget that. Give us a tiny little V8 that revs to 10. It doesn't need to make loads of power. And away we go. Yeah. Uh, I think probably the issue there would be the sheer cost of engineering a motor like that. I think, it would, I think it would cost, I think it would cost a fortune. Some will do it. You know, Gordon Murray's doing it. Um, Maybe you rev to for, nine. Just, yeah. Okay, <laughs> okay yeah, something Knock 100 grand right off the price and rev to nine rather than 10. Like, yeah. <laughs> a a GT3 yeah, engine revving to nine sounds pretty damn good. That's all you need, isn't it? That's actually no, all I need. You don't need any more. Like, what? there is no. I mean, there's no need in any of it. But like, I don't know. It it does my head in. I drove today. I've, I've got a rear wheel drive Taycan. Ah, interesting. Um, just I've for not like a half a day. Um, but it was the first Taycan. Have you driven any of the Taycans? Yeah, the Turbo and the 4S. Um, and previous prior to this, my only EV experiences have been a Honda E and Mm. a Model 3 Performance. And all of those, I thought, the Honda, I thought, was kind of quite cool. Um, Really heavy, but cool little thing. Tesla, neat, but the display in the middle, it's like there's nothing in front of you. There's not even a heads-up display. I thought, Mm. that's been designed someone that just doesn't drive cars. Like, absolutely ludicrous, for to coin a Tesla phrase, um, for Mm -hmm. driving. But then I got in the Taycan, and... I was sort of ignoring its failings in terms of range, which is a, and charging, which is a huge problem. Um, mm. I got in this and was like driving home. I was like, I could have one of these, and like I would yeah. want one of these. <laughs> like none of the other cars I got in and go, I would actually buy this. Whereas the Taycan, I'm like, yeah. And then you park it, it up, is. and you're like, this is the whole electric thing. Anyway, there's a lot of pluses for a daily. Like it's always charged it can heat itself up, whatever, all those things. You're like, this is slick. I can't remember if we spoke about this last time I was on, but years ago, I drove the, the first Rimac, the Concept 1, and that's got one motor per wheel. Mm. Um, I think Lotus are doing that with the Avaya and the Pininfarina and the new Rimac as well. And that's, that is really interesting, genuinely, because in, in that Rimac that I drove, and I drove the hill climb car as well, which had the same system, you could, you could literally turn torque vectoring, all-wheel torque vectoring, on and off. So you'd go on and go through a slalom of cones or around a few corners, and you feel it do the, these amazing things, and then you turn it off, and then all of a sudden the car feels way heavier, way less agile, less nimble. Um, and so th- that was a real graphic demonstration of what you can do with all-wheel torque vectoring if you've got one motor per wheel. 
And you, you can make a card do funky things. You can make it behave in weird ways. Um, and it can be fun to drive. It can, the way you feel the car working underneath you and how it weirdly scoots around a corner and then drives away from that corner in mm. the crispest, sharpest way imaginable. I enjoyed it. it you know, it's not a replacement for a great combustion engine car with a manual box and a NA engine, but it was in its own way. It felt great. So there is potential, and that's why I hope that whoever does come along and make an electric sports car, they go with one motor per wheel because it, it does allow them to do pretty funky things. But I have a suspicion that the added complexity, the added cost, maybe even added weight will, will deter them from doing it. But yeah, that Taycan. The, so the thing about the Taycan for me is it, it feels so solid on the road. Mm. It's got this integrity about it. It's just shot through with integrity. And it just feels like you're in the safest place in the world. And when you're driving along the motorway, you just think, I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. And I yeah. just kind of think that, given that that's how I enjoy that car, I would want a four-wheel drive one because it just adds uh, another layer to that kind of, that sense of integrity that it has. Yeah. Um, but I know a few people have driven the rear drive one and said it's the one. It's just, I guess it's just a lot cheaper as well. So... If you're just like you want a car, and obviously you're spending more money, but you get all of the most of the stuff, you obviously don't have the performance. And the rear wheel drive one does run out of punch at like 70. Mm. But you could argue that what's like you live in England, it's okay on the road, isn't it? Like, what is the point? And I'm definitely going the other way, like, I'm going towards slower cars just most of the time. Um, mm. like. My daily can be a whatever. I almost don't care like what engine is in it anymore. I, mm. Okay, I haven't quite changed. I've still got an S4, so it's still reasonably quick. But I don't really mind. If it does 0 to 60 in eight seconds, so like I'm not mm. racing anyone. But I've driven... This is a really interesting one because I know this is a car you've driven. I had the, the Yaris GR recently and then I had the Fiesta ST Edition. I don't know whether you've driven the Edition. Um I thought those it's two. It's one of my favourite cars on sale. We'll come back to it. Okay, <laughs> okay. Because um, I drove the Yaris, and that was the first small, kind of slightly powerful car I've driven in a long time. Just haven't driven anything like that in a long time. And I had a wicked time just having a small car in town mm. with a manual gearbox that's kind of fun. But when I started to push it faster, at the speeds I'm driving on roads, general public roads, it just. It just had so much grip and so much composure that no matter what you did within reason, you just weren't really feeling any sort of rear-wheel drive, rear drive balance or no, no, whatever mode, sport mode, 60-40 or whatever, 70-30. Just no. There was just no opposite lock coming out of that car. Drive the Fiesta? Bloody hell. That thing's coming <laughs> around. <laughs> I, do you know, I did the video. I did, I, did, I did a comparison of those two cars for piston heads. Mm. Um, and I, I upset some people because I said, I said what you just said. I said, more of the time, you'll have more fun in the Fiesta. I honestly think I, I could really get stuck into this now. Um, the Yaris. Here we are. <laughs> I, no, I, <laughs> I love the concept of that Yaris. I love that they did it at all because, you know, g given that the WRC regs changed, they didn't have to, but they did it because they thought it was cool. I love that they, they took that attitude. 
Um, I think it's brilliant fun to drive. I think it's super capable. Do you know what? I'm going to go back a little bit. I think it's super capable. I think it's fun to drive. But it falls into the same trick that something like a nine, same trap that something like a 911 Turbo does or, you know, a modern supercar that's got tons of grip, tons of power, that's effortless to drive yeah. really quickly. And, and that's that. Yeah, yeah. And that's that. It goads you into driving ever harder, ever faster. And so you find yourself driving down a road and you go through a couple of corners. You go, OK, well, I didn't feel much there. Just felt planted. Didn't feel it tried to adjust its line on the way out under power. So I'll go harder. I'll brake later. I'll chuck it in a bit more. Stand on the power earlier. And then all of a sudden, without meaning to, you're driving this car flat out. You're pinned everywhere, throwing gears at it, doing everything you can to try and make it come alive. And then maybe it just starts giving a little something back. But by that point, in a car as capable as that and as fast down a road as that, you're well beyond the speed limit already. Well beyond. Even a little, little Yaris. Yeah. Um, so, it, it, you know, it's nothing to like the same extent as a 911 Turbo. But for me and the way that I drive on the road, it's more of that school than the Fiesta, which I just... I honestly think that car is more fun to drive on the road than certain Lamborghinis, um, certain Ferraris. Honestly, a lot of cars. There's just a lot of cars. There's just it's got this amazing flow about it. The just the, when you turn it into a corner, you, th- this is how you drive a Fiesta ST around a ninety degree right. Okay, you come up, stand on the brakes, turn into the corner like that feel the car come around, you've straightened the steering wheel, the car's sweeping around behind you, and then you've pinned the throttle, and you've, you've driven away from the corner. That's all you do to turn it into a corner, because it's so lively and mobile and agile. You can enjoy that, even just driving around a roundabout in town. You're just, just feeling that balance, yeah. and how crisp and pin, pin sharp the steering is. It's that rotation on the way into... I just... I loved it. I, I got quite a lot of stick, I think, in the comments in, uh, on that video. And I had a load of people um, sending me messages on WhatsApp saying, so, sorry, on social media saying, you're an idiot, you've got this all wrong. Um, but I, I stand by it, right? Because if you're, if you're in a car like a Yaris or something like that, that goads you into going faster and faster and faster, um, the reality is, if you owned one of those cars, you'd be driving it in that kind of manner, 1% of the time, maybe, maybe mm. 2 3% of the time, but hardly anything. Whereas in the Fiesta, you're having fun driving it 20 30% of the time. Yeah. And just that's, and therefore, how much more fun you have over an ownership experience. It's, for me, it's night and day. I just loved it. A few people, I, I think a couple of guys who own GI Yaris's, they came back to me. Someone had, up, had posted a video on YouTube or on Instagram. They're in continental Europe somewhere driving a GI Yaris. And you see them come up to a hairpin, pull the handbrake, do a huge skid around the handbrake under power, sorry, around the corner under power and drive away. And it looks great. Fair play. You know, that, that does look like a lot of fun. And he said um, to me, still less fun than a Fiesta ST. And I, I, th- I went back and said, go and do that again without pulling on the handbrake because it won't do that. It'll just be locked down yeah. and away you go. And the thing is, he said, but why wouldn't I pull on the handbrake? It's there. And it's like, fair enough. If you're prepared to do essentially handbrake turns on the road to get your kicks, 
you know, yeah. knock yourself out. But I'm, I'm increasingly less prepared to do stupid stuff like that on the road um, just, to, just to have my fun. And so if I can drive a car that allows me to have the time of my life without doing something, anything daft, actually, I'm all for it. And that Fiesta for me is, is the one. Yeah, and, and I, two... I, I, I looked at, I considered changing my car for one of those just because it's brilliant. I loved it. It is, it is a brilliant car. And I drove it for, I had it for a week. Actually, did I have the Fiesta for a week? No, I had the Fiesta, I only, only had it for a weekend. And I drove it around and I did some normal type, daily type stuff. And then I went for a, a quick drive on one day and, and made my video and stuff like that. And most of the time, I think they look quite cool. They could look a little bit more aggressive, but I think they look quite cool. I think they look, the Yaris is like a, a weird looking car. It, mm. it's, it's purposeful. And if you know what it is, it's cool. But I wouldn't say it's necessarily good looking. Um, Fair. And then you just, I just get in the, the focus. I'm like, it's got all the stuff. Like it's got heated seats. It's got a great sound system, all of these things. And like, just as a car, like, well, should I just get a Fiesta? Should I just get a Fiesta ST? Like, <laughs> it's just got manually one. adjustable coilovers. And it's got the whole lot, that thing. It's got the whole lot. And okay, that one is particularly expensive for a Fiesta. But the, and you compare it, the driving experience is very different. Like it's, the Yaris is a much more accomplished car in terms of the, mm. the refinement of things like feel. Like not necessarily the amount of feel, but the steering in the Yaris is a bit weird. Like the whole center bit is like completely numb and then it ramps up massively with a really rapid steering as soon as you get after that. But as soon as you start driving faster, not a problem. And yes, you can put your foot down and put a bit of lock on and you can power understeer everywhere. Um, whereas the Yaris handles, like the steering feels like a sports car, I would say, or more like a, you know, it's not affected by any of the dynamics, whether it's mm. the diff and stuff like that. But 200 horsepower, I'm driving that car. I'm like, do you need any more power than this? Like, okay, occasionally you want to get a power hit, but like you can't, even in that car, you can't keep your foot in it for that long. No, that's true. I mean, 200 is enough if the car's not heavy. Yes, if it weighed two tons, that would be not enough. Mm. I d- but I th- that car has got plenty of performance for the road, you know. And well, the point is, it's got limited performance for the road. You're you're not doing banana speeds, and you're having a great time. Yeah, I love it. I, that's I've got a proper soft spot for that car. I'm probably I might even be. Uh, you know, unique in my industry because I, I love it so much. I think other people quite like it, but I, I just, I'm all about it. And I think it's probably because I find myself less willing these days to drive like a knob on the road. Yeah. Certainly on busy roads. Um, and most of them near where I live are, are pretty busy. Uh, and so I, I, I'm increasingly looking for cars that give me that rush without having to take liberties. Yeah. And that generally comes with less grip all these cars get so grippy and they're like, oh, it comes on a cup two. I'm like, can we just not put it on the cup two, please? Like, I don't need that. You're so right. You're can we so put it right. on some Prius yeah. tyres? A Yaris GR yeah. on some Prius tyres. That would be an interesting experience. I think Prius tyres on the back and yeah. something a bit stickier on the front. Do you know what? My frustration with the Yaris, 
Uh, maybe, maybe I need to drive one in the wet or on a wet track or something, I think whatever. That but starts to shine, maybe. Yeah, even even in sport mode, which is the most rear biased one, isn't it? Like you said, it. It's you, you just don't ever feel like it's about to just give you one of those little woo moments away from a corner. Uh, it just it just feels completely locked down. It's almost too capable for its own good. I think that car. Yeah, I think. Have you so have you drive, driven the Litchfield one? Yeah. Did he? Yeah, I have. Have they played with damper settings and stuff to make it a little bit more Larry or not really? Uh, they what they've done is they've put again manually adjustable coilovers on it. So if you wanted to, and they make a big difference, they they really make the car handle beautifully. And if you wanted to, you could put a load of stiffness into the back axle, mm. so so you got all the roll stiffness back there, so that inherently, naturally, the car would want to oversteer a bit more. I haven't had a, a play with it, but I'm sure it would be feasible. It would be possible. I think what they want to try and do is fiddle with the four-wheel drive system to send <laughs> even more torque to the rear axle. But I think that they then have to get into complicated hardware upgrades. The thing is, right, we, we all have to hold our hands up here. When, when, they, when we heard there was a four-wheel drive hot hatch coming... Wicked. I think I think we all thought wicked because we're going to be able to do little skids in this thing and it's going to be great fun. Um, and for me, other people will disagree, but for me, the reality is that it's so tied down um, that you don't get to toy with its balance the way that I'd like to. You don't. It, you can just put your foot down. Yeah, ping it where you go. And off it goes. <laughs> and it is, it's an, um, it's an unbelievable little car. Mm. But if you want to feel a car moving around, that car does mm. not move around in its stock form. I wonder, I wonder if you have some adjustable coilovers on it and you stiffen it up or, you know, and all that sort of stuff, it could become pretty unbelievable. Mm. But it still has a, a lot of grip. Yeah. Yeah, it's got, it's got so much grip. Honestly, if you're driving a 911 on the road and you see one of those come up behind you, I think you've just got to pull in. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, yeah. at the very least you're going to keep it just behind you but it will be glued to your bumper I promise you it will be and you're going to feel like such a knob when the Yaris eventually gets past you yeah and it's one of those cars that you can keep your foot in it like you can just keep your foot in it and it's that is you can go a lot faster when you don't have to think about whether you're lifting or not whereas mm. you've got a lot more power you're a bit like ooh, ooh, can I put it down yeah, can I not yeah, put it down yeah. can I, and On then and it off. comes out yeah, or yeah. whatever um, yeah that's yeah. true so in this time, you've got a podcast. It's called, yeah. was called Drive Nation. It has now changed. It was, it was called Drive Nation. It's now called The Intercooler. We call it TI. Um, yeah, the podcast, as we're recording this, is pretty much a year old now. We'd wanted to do it for a while. Um, I came on yours and had a good time and just sort of wanted to figure it out and see what the response was. Um, and I just thought, we've got to give this a go. So we recorded the first one. Uh, just over a year ago now and we did it in person at Andrew's house and then lockdown came in Mm. Um, and so for a year we've been doing them like this remotely but uh, do you know what actually as an aside I think probably we'll carry on doing it this way because people have got used to watching um, and consuming podcasts that have been created remotely and it it works doesn't it it works so I think we'll probably carry on doing it in you know and, and just do the odd one in person I don't know we'll see it's, um, it's such a time saver doing it this way. Oh, God. I just, yeah. Yeah, you're not setting up cameras. You're not driving anywhere. 
it just gives you a whole world of possibilities, isn't it? Mm. You can talk to people in LA, you can talk to people in Australia yeah. or whatever. Um, you don't have to be there in person. So it does, yeah, it does make a big difference. So yeah, we've been, we've been doing our podcast for a year. Um, it's mostly just me and him chatting rubbish to each other about cars. But people come back and listen. So I don't know. Well, I suppose we'll have to carry on doing it. But we, we changed the name from Drive Nation because we wanted to turn it into a proper business. You know, we'd been having a bit of fun with uh, the Drive Nation page over on Instagram um, and doing our podcast. But it wasn't sustainable as a business. It was never going to become our income, our livelihood. And we wanted to see if we could make that happen. And we took some advice and someone told us that you, you, if somebody is ever going to come along and put some money in, they're going to want to know that the name is protected, that it's trademarked. Okay. Um, and Drive Nation was used too widely. It'd been used far too many times. If you, if you Google it, you'd find all sorts of stuff called Drive Nation. I think right. there's like a, a car dealerships in the US and there's even like a sports team or something called Drive Nation. So even that hashtag, Drive Nation, it's, it, you know, it's used for all sorts of stuff. Oh, God, the process of coming up with a new name, it's so tiresome. And it just goes on forever. But we eventually came up with the intercooler. I thought it sounded a bit like a pub or like a place where people might meet. Um, it abbreviated to TI, which we like because lots of cool cars have been bashed TI. It's the periodic table symbol for, t- for titanium, which is quite good if yep. you're talking about cars. And so we just went with it. And more importantly, as, as important as anything, at the intercooler was available on Instagram. Like the number of ideas we got through, name ideas that we got through that we loved, but we just couldn't get the name or anything even close. It's like an endless list. So yeah. to finally come across a name that you could actually get without having to put any weird punctuation or whatever in it, I mean, it. it Do you not still that have was some, great. Is there not still some underscore or something in it? Or is that we, for the first two weeks we had a full stop? Like, a, okay. yeah, we had a full stop, but uh, we, that's gone now. So we are just at the intercooler. Um, and we could trademark the name as well. So, so we did that. But the, I mean, the big thing that's happened is that we've had an investor come along and stick some money into it, and Wait. he's helping us turn it into a proper business. And so I, I be, before this goes out, actually, we will have launched our new digital magazine. Um, so if you don't mind, like, I, I can spill the beans. I can tell yeah, everything. Yeah, let's go for it. it, will, it yeah, I won't be giving anything away. It's, a, it's an app. It's a subscription app, and people will have to pay for it. Um, it will be about the same as a monthly magazine. Um, and it's updated on a daily basis. So it's not like we do weekly or monthly editions. So yeah. there's a couple of new pieces going up every single day. And we've got an amazing cast of writers who are going to be contributing. It's not just me and Andrew. And the point is, what we're trying to do is combine the most convenient and modern packaging delivery, which is a mobile app, uh, with the best quality car journalism, automotive writing, mm. um, the best stories, okay? So it's, uh, it's kind of like people, people talk about Car Magazine back in the 1970s as being the, the best automotive title there has ever been. What we're trying to do is bring back the spirit of that magazine in that era, great stories, great writing, fearless with the most modern delivery. And we've got, apart from me and Andrew, Andrew Frankel, we've got Henry Catchpole writing. We've got Karen Chandock, the F1 pundit Mm -hmm. um, and racing driver. We've got some of the guys uh, from Car back in the 70s. We've got Mel Nichols, um, Peter Robinson. 
Uh, actually, Henry mentioned Robbo when he was on with you. He spoke about the guy who uh, drove, who crashed the Diablo, and they yeah. put it on the cover of the magazine, and it was the best-selling issue. He's written that story for us. He's oh, written nice. how he crashed a, a Lamborghini <laughs> Diablo when it was brand new, what the outcome was, how the police... Um, dealt with the situation and I'm not obviously not going to give it away here but it's completely bonkers what happened there so we've and he's written that story for us um so we've got and then uh, I've mentioned him just now another guy called Mel he is possibly the only motoring journalist alive today or one of very few who met Enzo Ferrari oh wow so he's written us an amazing 2,000 word piece about meeting Enzo Ferrari and what that was like and what happens when you meet him. And so this is what we're doing. We're, we're, we're combining these great stories with a really convenient kind of packaging. Um, and we're going to see if, if people, if readers, are as into the idea as we are. That sounds like a cool idea. Are you going to keep doing the Instagram stuff along the similar carry-on that alongside? Little snippets, I guess. Yeah, uh, and the, importantly, the app will not have traditional advertising. So it's you know it's not no pop-ups, no clickbait, no no flashing banners, all that stuff. We're we're just trying to get back to simplicity, um, and we'll carry on doing what we've been doing. We'll keep posting on Instagram on a more or less daily basis. We'll keep doing our free podcast. The app will have subscriber-only additional content, video, and uh, podcast stuff. But we'll carry on doing what we've been doing. Ah, it's, uh, do you know what? It, it's, it's been, it's dominated my year so far. Like I've, mm. I've still been doing bits with Piston Heads, which has been great because I love doing it, but I'm pretty much full time working on the intercooler at the moment. And I will be as long as it goes well. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's been a proper journey getting it to this point. You know, the number of calls we've had with lawyers and solicitors and accountants and, we're so close now to launching this thing, telling the world about it. And ah, we're, just, we're just really excited. I can't wait for people to hear about it. Hopefully they're going to enjoy it as well. Yeah, and I guess, do you have a bit of sort of trepidation about when the app goes out? I'm bricking it. I just, I just don't know what to expect. You know, maybe 12 people are going to download yeah. it and go, oh, it's not for me. And I'll be like, oh no, <laughs> what do I do? I don't know, maybe, maybe it'll explode. I don't know. I have, I have literally no clue what's going to happen. So I'm, I'm really nervous. Well, you've got a good tight-knit audience group on Instagram and following your podcast and all that sort of stuff. So you've got a lot of keen people. Um, mm, we so hope so. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully hope they'll so. convert into the the paid but you never know like it's one of those things you you have you have no idea you all you can do is it's a big step hope and yeah. hope that yeah, what yeah, you've yeah, done yeah. so and push far. them and annoy them yeah <laughs> it, exactly yeah asking people to put their hands in their pocket particularly for digital content is tough and that's why that's why we're doing it because no one's actually really done it before yeah um it is a new idea we just think the time is right and i think even compared to a couple of years ago people are more used to paying for monthly subscriptions like yeah. Netflix, whatever else, a few quid a month, you know, they, they don't really think about it. Hopefully they'll have a similar attitude to the Intercooler app, but I don't know, only time will tell. Well, I pay something like three ninety nine to have uh, what used to be called visual voicemail. 
So if someone leaves a message on my phone, I get like a, I can read it. Oh yeah. But I pay literally oh, really? like three ninety nine a month for that. Yeah. So if I if I could have that, I would have that. That would be great. <laughs> yeah, I think people are just a bit more used to having a handful of these little monthly subscriptions, and as long as they get good value out of it and they enjoy yeah. and appreciate it, you don't mind, do you? Yeah, and as long as the process, then the process now with like iTunes and stuff like that is so easy for managing them. You can see really easily what you've got. You can click cancel. Like you don't, mm. there's no that thing back in the day where you, you know you want to cancel a subscription, so you've got to call people and then like they don't answer the phone, and then they're like, oh, well, mm. we can cancel it in a month, but not now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've missed the deadline for cancelling this month. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you've I'm sorry, just it's renewed also renewed for, a year. for another six months. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's there you go. I think people are just a bit more used to that method of paying for stuff. So hopefully the time is right. Yeah, and I think it'd be really cool if 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 it works and hopefully it will, having basically the content paid for by the audience. Not yes. paid for by third and okay, you might bring in sponsors and stuff at some point in time, but mm. you can choose those. If you don't have to have them, you can really, you know, pick who you deal with and go we're not our content is not swayed by anything because mm. if you Absolutely. okay magazines this has been this has been talked about a lot recently but like sort of the influencer types and journal conventional journalists conventional journalists are paid by their magazine so they're not they don't have to deal with any of the other stuff about earning the money other than you do the article for the magazine or however it works Whereas if you're producing content for yourself, you've got to fund it somehow. And views do not fund no. li- livelihoods unless you're getting crazy, crazy. And even then they don't, like, they don't really. Um, so you've got to tie in with companies to pay for stuff or you might be reliant on someone doing a deal or someone lending you a car. You want to get the, you want to get the next one. So you may not trash their, mm. their company or whatever. Whereas if it's just paid for by the audience, if it, I would, that would, for me, would be the ultimate, like just paid for by the people that listen, whether it's like 10 P a month or whatever, and you know, it's consistent and you can do exactly what you want, what they want. And you're not worrying about any of it. It's, it's that independence that we think will make us stand out a bit because you're absolutely right. Like it, it's literally better for the audience if they all pay for it. Yeah. It is. It's honestly, it's better if, if you're consuming something free, there's, I don't know, there's a reasonable chance that it's being funded elsewhere and, and that therefore there are certain pressures. Whereas you can be absolutely certain that the intercooler, because we're not carrying conventional advertising, no one is telling us what we should or shouldn't say. We don't feel any pressure to say mm. certain things, to not say certain things. Um, because we're changing that business model. That's the whole point. It's a different business model where we're not reliant on, on that stuff, on advertisers or even sponsors, because the audience is paying for it. So we're hoping that the time is right and that people are prepared, are now willing to pay for this stuff because they, they know that they're going to be able to trust implicitly every word that we say. Um, and I think there will be um, like a hardcore of people who will view it that way, who will be prepared to. Not everyone will. Other yeah. people will go, Do you know, there's tons of great free stuff out there. Why would I pay for it? And that's, that's fine, you know. That's, I, I understand that point of view. Um, but we, we're, we're confident that there will be a group of people out there who will see it the way we do and will be prepared to pay a few quid a month and get good value from it. Yeah, and it's seen as like, it, it gets 
frowned upon by a lot of people. But like you said, a lot more people are, are used to this way of doing stuff now. But if you look at like a conventional magazine, if you want to read the magazine, yeah. up until fairly recently when people started putting articles online, like you had to buy the magazine. <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. that's how it worked. You've got to pay um, for the magazine. <laughs> and I've always been amazed. Um, I do this thing. This is a great time to plug it actually right now. If, if you enjoy cool. my content or my chats, yeah, you can buy me a beer on my website. And, do. And people buy do. Buy a beer. People, Good. people do. And I'm like, the first time I put it on there, I was like, no one's going to do this. No, like, no way is anyone going to contribute <laughs> at all. And then someone did. And I was like, oh, my God. And so it's, it's a really, for me, I, I love it because it's a great way of, like, getting a bit. And I often talk to the people and they message me and we, we have a little chat and whatever. And it's just a way of them being able to give back or mm. contribute in some way. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think I think your audience—they've had a lot of free stuff for a long time, and uh, I think they're primed. It's true. They're primed and it's ready. True. And we hope so. Yeah, we hope so. And we're going to keep giving them that free stuff as well. We are. But I, I just think it would be a better world if people were accustomed to paying a small amount for the stuff that they enjoy, that they consume, yeah. whether it's podcasts or videos or um, or written stuff. It's it, it would be better all round if people were prepared to pay a little bit. It doesn't have to be tons at all, just something, um, because then you can change the business model. And then the pressures are lifted from your shoulders. It's, I don't know, we'll we'll see. There might be a reason that no one's made a success of this sort of model. You know, we we might be barking up the wrong tree entirely, but we're just just prepared to give it a go and and see what happens. I think there'll be a lot of people watching quite closely, intrigued to see what comes of it. Totally. And, And there will be a lot of people that will go, why Why can't I see this for free or whatever? Or they might pirate it or something like that. But yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. ultimately for you guys, what's most important is if there are people that are keen and ideally it's a reasonable um, number of people to make it viable, those are the most important people. Actually, no one else matters. Like, sorry to the other people. You, you don't matter because if those people are keen enough and there's enough of them to make it viable then you just need to find more people like that. You don't, you, other people... The, the, moment, the moment you've got people paying, you don't need a big audience. You no. really don't. You, you, it's, you know, it's, they're modest numbers. If you've got people paying a few quid a month, you don't need loads of them. And you're quite right. If you've got a relatively modest group of people paying a little bit of money each month, you can tailor everything that you do for that small group of people. So mm. they suddenly become the most important thing in your professional world, right? And you just, you just look after these people and you just nurture that group of people and you, you give them everything that they want within reason. Um, and I think if, if you're in that position, I think you can offer that group of people such good value, really make them feel like they're part of something. Um, yeah. Ah, We'll have another conversation in a year and we'll, we'll see how it goes. We went wrong, what but we it is, it's, it's like, yeah. you know, having a local shop. You only, mm. you only can tailor to your local community, but the beauty of the internet is anyone can come in and mm. check out your little niche local shop and feel like they're part of the community and whatever. Um, and, and I do love, and like you said, you're going to continue doing the free stuff. So, I'm endlessly amazed, and I'm sure you guys have looked at like where some of the, your listeners are, and where some mm. of your audience are from, and you're like, it's all parts of the world. Yeah, um, which is we're it's, very it's lucky amazing. that we we're very lucky that we're 
we use the English language. We're so lucky. Yeah. You know, I think trying, trying to build a sizable car podcast if you speak Greek is, or Czech or something. You know is, what? You know, I've got a counterpoint to this. Go on. I know someone that had an English YouTube channel. I, I, two, okay, we're going to talk about two people, but he had an English YouTube channel and it started to get lost. He wasn't making the most amazing content, but it started to get lost amongst all the other mm. hundred bazillion English speaking YouTubers. And he speaks French. So he started a French channel and his French channel is doing much better because, okay, I don't know the population of France. I actually have no idea. 50 million, 100 million. It's, sli- it's slightly less than us. It's high 50s, I think, yeah. Okay, so high 50s. That's quite a lot. There's probably quite a lot of car enthusiasts there. Mm. If you are the only French speaking let's say, yeah, yeah, content yeah. creator, and you charge your, them all £1 a month, 50p a month, 10p a month, you're doing very well. Mm. And you yeah, are, it's, it's you've become point, yeah. a big fish in a small pond at that situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas if you're English, yeah, you've, everyone speaks English. Yeah, you've got a sort of captive audience, haven't you? It's, it's a very fair point. Um, in terms of finding listeners all around the globe... I think you need to be speaking in a, yes. a language that's very, very broadly spoken, like like English. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're quite right. And if if you're making a podcast about French sports cars, it should probably be in French because where are most of those enthusiasts going to be? They're going to be in France speaking French. Well, one so, of them yeah, on this podcast. Oh well, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. It's a, it's a fair point. It's a very fair point. No, it's it's it's, it's cool. I'm I'm intrigued. I'll I will. Uh, I'll sign up, and then uh, I'll. I'll probably quit after 13 days of my free trial. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Well, everyone's going to get a 30-day free trial, okay. um, and if we can do it, I'll. I'll. I'll ping you a. Uh, a, a free membership because I, I oh, think we can do that. Sick. So I'll just. I'll just buzz you one so you can have a look whenever. Well, you I will. Uh, I'll get you a, a beer or something. Although we always yes. go to events where we're driving, so you're not allowed to drink. Oh, no. Do you know what? Actually, the good thing about that uh, Hampton Court one was I, I was a guest of Renault. And so they, they collected me from Bristol, drove me to Henry VIII's that house. sick. And I just got hammered on free champagne and beer. <laughs> and then sort of mostly slept in the car on the way back and turned up at home. It was great. <laughs> for those that have not come across it, there's like a Hampton Court concourse. Um, I went for the first time this year. I don't know whether it's... I think it's been on before. Um, mm. And it had that... I have never seen a more insane bunch of cars in one space. Now, I've not been mm-hmm. to the big American ones, but there was... Ju- wasn't there not just the most unridiculous unridic- cars? Stunning. Absolutely stunning from across the spectrum. Road cars, race cars, stuff from the 20s, 1920s, up to modern supercars, hypercars. It was stunning. And I, I don't tend to love those Concours events because... It's cars on lawns, isn't it? And yeah, no one's driving boring. anything. And cars are meant to be driven. Um, but when you've got a Maserati 250F that Prince Bira raced in the 1950s, there were some much older Grand Prix cars there. There were some sort of 70s F1 cars. There were gorgeous road cars from the 20s and 30s. And, and you find that you just pour over them. You just mm. stare at the details. That's when those events are quite cool. So, yeah, I, 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 I do like that Concorde, but I don't know, sort of ideologically, I'd prefer to be at a race meeting or something. Yeah, or Goodwood. Or Goodwood, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, with stuff's getting driven. Yeah, absolutely. You've driven recently a new M3. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, that's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Henry loves it. Henry Does he? thinks it's brilliant. Overall, mm. all things considered. He, well, he gave it four and a half stars in Evo. And I know for Evo, that means it's absolutely terrible and a massive disappointment because it doesn't get five stars. It's, a, you know, it's hopeless. But I think he really liked it. And it's fair enough. You know, I, fair enough. I'm not here to, to say anyone's wrong. It's more than 1,700 kilos, almost 1,800 kilos. It's a big, heavy car. And the problem for me is like, I th- we've all got traits in cars that we quite like, haven't we? We've all got mm. you know, the way a car steers or rides or sounds or what kind of transmission it has, whatever. And the, one that, the thing that I like is a supple, fluid ride. I'd like not getting beaten up by the car that I'm driving. And the thing about that M3 is it handles really well because it's got a load of spring rate in it. It's a stiff car. And so it's super direct and agile. It's got great body control. But it, it, the ride is too firm. It's too busy. It beats me up. And at low speed, it would be annoying. And I, the, fundamentally, it's just not a very clever trick making a heavy car handle that way just by giving it stiff springs. It's not that clever. No. What would be clever is if it was that heavy, handled well, but had a lovely, fluid, pliant ride. That would be clever. And that's the kind of thing that I'm into. So the M3 for me just, uh, I don't know. I think, I think that if you had one, or okay, if I had one and I used it every day, at some point I'd go, I'm going to talk to someone about getting these, spring, these springs changed for something just a bit more pliant. Yeah. That's my issue. I, I find it difficult when I see, okay, I, I, actually I think I talked to Henry about this a little bit. The, the difference between a sort of journalistic review and your opinion. Because mm. they're not necessarily the same thing. Like they are, it's true. One is, a, is meant to be an impartial opinion of the car, which, mm. I, and I, if I'm talking about a car, I don't do that because, I, that, I mean, I'm not a journalist, so I just give my opinion based on my experiences mm. and whatever. And I can't, I, I'm, I'm just never getting in the bloody M3, let alone driving it and evaluating that time. I just get to it and I go, it's ugly. I can't stand it. <laughs> Not happening. It's too expensive. It's like, what are they, like 80 grand, 90 grand, something ridiculous mm-hmm. like that. It's yeah. like you said, it's 70. It's like M5 size or what an old M5 used to be. Mm. And it's damn ugly. The seats are pretty cool inside. They've turned it into a slush box. What are you playing yeah. at? I understand yeah. that that might be better around town, but like everyone knows no. that feeling when you try and change down and it's like just yeah. waiting. No, yeah. absolutely not. Well, <laughs> I, I properly wrestled with this in the, the verdict of the video that I did for Piss and Heads. We had that and the Alpha Julia Quadrifolia. Yeah. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. 
Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And I was like, I way prefer the Alfa Romeo. I way prefer it because it does what I like a performance car to do. It, it's fluid and supple and it just feels great on a bumpy road, particularly in the UK. Mm. Our roads are shocking. Um, so when I find a car that, that does feel composed and calm and settled, I, I really love it. Um, and so, yeah, my, I had to split the verdict into two parts, which some people think is a cop-out, but actually I think it's, it's fair enough if you explain why. And I said that my favourite car here is the Alpha. I don't like the BMW because I think it's too stiff. I think it's too heavy. It's yeah. ugly. I hate that grill. I, I hate that grill. And I, I don't want to let BMW off the hook. There will be a lot of people out there who, who would prefer the BMW because, um, well, partly because the interior is better, um, partly because, well, whatever, it's, it's an M3. And I, mostly because it's an it car. And there yeah. are so many people, most people probably buying these things are buying it as a status thing. And there is, there is not much status in a, an Alfa Romeo sports saloon that people can't pronounce. It's too niche. And people don't know what it is. It's too niche. But there is a hip load of status in an M3, even if it looks the way this new one does. It, it does say, or, okay, it doesn't actually say anything about the driver, but people think it says something about the driver. Because it's, a, it's an it car. It's disgust. And for a lot of people, that's the most important thing. It's just not for me. It says the same thing about the driver that a Lamborghini, a Lamborghini Urus says about the driver to me. <laughs> Make that, yeah. of that what keep, you will. Keep your distance. <laughs> no, yeah. it's, it's an interesting one. And, and I'm sure it's very good to drive. But like you said, it's, it's got this, that stiffness, which like I had a 2017 M2. That was too stiff. Same, yeah. same problem. Like, just oh, the, the M3 is way stiffer. Way stiffer. Oh dear, mm. that's not a good thing. And then, mm. yeah, the, the only solution for those is you end up with a sort of well, no, the solution is less weight. That is the solution. But the solution yep. that everyone ends up with is like I had a the Bentley Continental GT W12 recently for a week. Mm. Phenomenal thing. But their solution of air suspension. And then motors to like restrain it mm. when it goes around a corner works. Like it does, that has quite a breadth in that way of like it can be super plush at low, low speed and controlled at fast speed. Mm. But it's a really heavy car. Like, and you can't get over the fact that they're like over two tons. I don't know like who's buying, like for me, if I was going to buy an M5 or something mm. like that, I would, I'm looking for a saloon car I probably always get an estate, but like a, in a saloon car that's got a stupid engine in it that sounds good, but I want it to be damn comfy. Like mm, yeah. I want it to waft around and isolate me from the outside, and I want to be able to hear the exhaust. That I mm. feel, I feel like and I might be wrong. Is what most people who want that car probably want. Yeah, yeah. And none I, of them I, think offer that. I think you're right. Yeah, the the issue. I, I suppose the M3 is it's now fundamentally at odds with itself. Because the M3, as you know, started off in 1986 as a little two-door coupe, homologation special, 1,200 and something kilos. But it was a focused driver's car. Mm. And BMW has allowed the M3 to become a very different vehicle physically. It's 
1800 kilogram four-door. There'll be an estate version soon. There'll be a four-wheel drive version soon. It's turbocharged, it's got an automatic gearbox. But they're wedded to this idea of it still being an M3, like a focused driver's car. And so they end up with an 1,800-kilogram saloon car that, that's, that rides really firmly because it has to, to control its masses, to be agile and alert and responsive. Um, and so it's, I don't know, it's, they're just in this weird spot with it now. Um, where who needs a big saloon car that rides like that? I think you're right. I think the moment you've got a big, a big family car, it should be comfortable. It should be calming, even um, even though it's a, a high performance car. I think, yeah, I could go on about this. <laughs> it's, it's it's one of the frustrations I have with modern cars these days. It's because I love that point in the range when you start to like an, an M3, like a three series and above you start to have a lot of sort of interior luxury type bits that you lose yeah. on the two. The two series is like really quite basic. But mm. I would like a car that's two series size that feels like a three series or the you know, like A4 or whatever, but it is that small, small car. Because the M2 Well, that's what the M3 was 15 years ago, 20 years ago. And now it doesn't exist. That car doesn't exist mm. anymore. No. no. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's so weird how modern performance cars are going off in this direction and people like you and I who really love performance cars are just going what's happening is this yeah. right do we want <laughs> this you know it's like I, do, ah, I know it's difficult for manufacturers they've got these uh, EU directives they've got these carbon emission targets that they have to hit they've got enormous fines if they don't blah 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 all that stuff you know what we've got 15 years, we've got 14 years actually, to enjoy combustion engines in new cars on the road, notwithstanding something like synthetic fuels coming along. Why do we have to wean ourselves off these things gradually? Why, do, why does the next C63 have to have a four-cylinder turbo engine with a hybrid component? We've only got 15 years left. Why not just make the most of it? Bring back that old 6.2-litre engine, that naturally aspirated screamer, just stick that in it. It'll only be around for another 15 years and it's gone. And then yeah. we're all electric. Just accept. It's like, <laughs> yeah. It's, 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 it will make literally zero difference to global carbon emissions, really. I don't know. I just, I just find it... Fr- these, are, these are the end days for the combustion engine and they're increasingly becoming less and less interesting, these, these things. Um, I mean, obviously there are exceptions out there and some fantastic exceptions, but it's, it's not little turbocharged four-cylinders that we're going to miss once petrol not engines are gone. Like, new C63, couldn't care less. It's bizarre, isn't it? Whereas old C63, that was one of the cool cars. And, mm. Until I drove one, and they were too, too stiff. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a totally different matter, isn't it? Yeah, they, they do beat you up. I just... Who wants that? Who wants to be beaten up like that? Honestly, if... It, any car you own, even if it's a weekend fun car, most of your driving in it will be sensible driving. Yeah. And who, who wants to get beaten up? I just, I just don't understand it, really. Yeah. No, I, I, I sometimes think I'm just getting old. And, <laughs> I think this is, this is possibly part of it. I definitely, yeah. earlier, when I started driving sportier cars, a, a stiff car gave me a perception of performance. Yeah. Yeah. Same with like yeah, yeah. a stiff, like a heavy steering wheel. It's like, mm. 
loads yeah, of right. performance car. <laughs> and then the more I drive stuff, I've just, I think, just adopting that attitude of, I only want the springs, I want them to be as soft as they can be and still do their job. Mm-hmm. Like, I just want, I want the car to be as soft as possible and still, like, the wheels stay, you know, not bottom out. Like, how you set up mm. a race car, you set it up pretty much as soft as you can whilst mm. retaining all the function. Yeah. yeah it's, it's, do you know what? There's a great example of this. I, I, I heard Henry mentioned that Aston Martin Bond car, the stunt car. Oh, yes. The, the DB5 with the M3 engine when he, when he was on the podcast. And I wanted to talk, to talk to you about these because I have a theory, right, that movie stunt cars are the best type of car ever, anywhere. They're just, they're the best kind of car, right? And I've driven a couple, so I can back this up a little bit. Yeah. I've had a go in that, um, that Bond Aston, that stunt car. It's got the M3 engine. Yeah. And it's supple. It's not super stiff. It's on quite squidgy rally suspension because it needs to be able to land from a jump. It needs to be able to deal with bumpy sort of cobbled streets or uneven roads. It needs to be able to... Well, it, it just it would rattle itself to pieces if it's super stiff, given the kind of driving that they do. And it's super light. It's a ton, that car, isn't it? It's 1,000 kilograms. Yeah. It's got literally no driver aids whatsoever because you'd only turn them off yeah. for the type of driving those cars do. Um, it's got plenty of power, but not so much that, it's, you know, that it becomes a liability. You don't want it to have too much grip because that defeats the point. These cars are supposed to be moving around, sliding through corners. So that one's on like uh, the the kind of tyre you'll see the guys racing on at Goodwood. It's like a um, historic style, but modern tyre. The point being that they don't grip super hard. The other stunt car that I drove was uh, the Jaguar CX-75 from Spectre, um, the the other Bond film. What was that like? Oh, it was wicked. Honestly, like one of the, the best vehicles I've ever driven. Similar to the, to the Stunt DB5. Uh, built to be absolutely solid as a rock. So you can abuse it and it just shrugs it all off. It doesn't care. Again, like the Aston, it's got... If you lifted it up on a ramp, the wheels would do that. They'd droop mm. right down because they're on big squidgy rally suspension because they have to be able to absorb all those impacts. That Jaguar, they rattled it down like a flight of steps in Rome. And it has to be able to do that. If you did that with a road car, it would fall to pieces. Yeah. So they have, to be, they have to be able to manage that with the suspension. It only had uh, Michelin Supersport tyres on it, not like a Cup 2, not like a racing slick or anything. So it had good grip, but not crazy grip. And they're, also, they're set up to be easy to drive sideways, whereas a racing car... It's, it's, it might be, you're right, it doesn't need to be as stiff as possible, but like a, a, a professional standard GT car, for instance, is a spiky thing yeah. because it has to be on a knife edge in order to, to go quickly. And if you try and slide one of those things around, it, there's no steering lock and it'll be really snatchy and you'll just spin it. But these stunt cars, they're, they're built to be the easiest things to skid around in. And I was driving this... Um, CX-75. So it's, it's not a CX-75. It's a, like a space frame thing yeah. with body panels glued onto it, essentially. They were built by Williams, the, F1, the engineering uh, side of the F1 team. Uh, they built five of them, and they had supercharged Jaguar V8s in them. Um, and they were, it was wicked to drive. I, I only had a short go in Mexico City, 
uh, at some test track somewhere. And I just, I howled around in this thing, sliding it about, feeling like a hero, just thinking, this is driving, you know? This, this is what it's all about. Yeah. And I just, that's it. I'm, and having, having sort of reinforced my point of view on these cars when I drove that Aston around this time last year, I'm just sold. It's like, stunt cars, that's all I want. I just, I only, if I, <laughs> yeah. if I could have a stunt car on the road, I'd, I'd have it. We, I was chatting to someone yesterday, um, uh, I'm, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my older 911. Essentially, mm. it's set up really quite grippy. Like just, it's, it's slightly wide body, so it's got bigger wheels on the back and it's got some quite grippy tyres in it. Although it's on winters at the moment, which is actually yeah. better. Um, nice. Like yeah. Better and worse at the same time. But yeah, yeah. I would love for that to be less grippy and more sliding. Mm. Um, mm. And I was, I was trying to work out whether there's a way I can do something to that car or I just sell it and buy something else. But chatting to another a, a guy, and he was saying, have you thought about a uh, tarmac spec rally car? <laughs> or like that sort of build. It, not yeah. necessarily, it wouldn't, it, it can be a road car, but set yeah, up yeah. like slightly raised, mm. soft plush suspension. You'll get a bit mm. of weight movement around mm. and then just put it on skinny, like small tires. And you will take a box. And I was like, yeah, actually, I mean, funny enough, I know we were talking about the Yaris as being too grippy, but like that sort of ethos of mm. a rally car that would go down a road, it has to be able to take the bumps. It has to be able to just go in a straight line without hunting camber. And you've got to be able to slide oh, right. it around. Uh, yeah, yeah. You've got to be able to pull a handbrake, like all of these sorts of things. You're like, it sounds like maybe this is the way. I don't know. <laughs> I'm absolutely on board. Absolutely on board. Yeah, no, that's why there's such a movement around this sort of Safari 911 type thing yeah. at the moment, isn't it? Because, yeah, because they are alive, those cars, right? Lots of modern supercars, hypercars, sports cars, they're so clamped down to the road, like we we're talking about with the Yaris. They're so capable that you, you drive them faster and faster and faster, just waiting to feel something. Mm. Whereas these lifted rally cars or something like a, an aerial nomad, you dive on the brakes and the whole car goes plows its nose down into the ground and then you accelerate from a corner it's like whoa and it's rolling like this in in bends and you're just having a great time not going that fast just having a great time and i think we'll see more of that stuff there's a load of press shots aren't there or spy shots of a lifted 911 at the ring and we're trying to figure out what's going on there and um and Alpine did a, a concept study, didn't they, of a lifted A110. And I just, I'm all about it. Even, you know, even in this country, if you live in continental Europe, southern Europe somewhere, or you live in California or Arizona, you've got endless sort of gravel tracks and stuff to play on. We, in the UK, we really don't have that stuff, not sort of freely accessible mm. anyway. Even so, I'm all, I'm totally behind this whole movement. I think it's cool. Yeah. On similarly, sort of along this this vein, I feel like Alpina is becoming mm. more and more relevant because I've I've always looked at them and gone, okay, they I generally wouldn't buy one of those cars new, so they're always really expensive. And I'm like, oh, I wouldn't do it. But now, tell me if you didn't do the video. I was just looking through the Piston Edge channel. Did you do a B5 versus M550i? Yeah, um, yeah. And yeah. have you driven the three series ones as well? No, I haven't. Uh... 
Mm. Not for a long time anyway, but people tell me they're very, very good. I think partly because they ride. Alpinas have always ridden. They, they yeah. always have a composed ride, despite having massive wheels. Um, they always ride. I think next week I'm doing whatever their X7 is. I think it's an X7, 600 horsepower thing. <laughs> Not my type of car at all, but it'd be interesting to see if even an Alpina SUV rides. Um, but honestly, yeah, that, B, that B5 that I drove a little while ago, Loved it. Super cool. And in a car that size, that, you know, it's massive, leather-lined yeah. cabin. It should be comfy. And that one really bloody is. It's, it's great. Oh, I, it's, I look at them and I go, they don't have the dodgy front end. They've got a similar performance. You can get them in touring spec. Like, oh, something, something in this now, for sure. They must, they must be loving it that BMW have gone super stiff with the M3 that it's got that front end on it they must just be going boys our time has come <laughs> so I asked Twitter if, if they had any questions and um, yeah and I wrote down some of them what's your top three model cars do you have a top th- do you have a bit of a model car collection I do but it's it's not like curated it's not like I've um picked and chosen them I, I get given a lot on car launches uh, and if if it's an interesting car or like a good launch that i want to remember i'll keep them i'll stick it on the shelf so i've got uh there's a mclaren senna one there not because i particularly like the model or love the way the car looks and i want to be reminded of it but just because it was a cool thing to get to go and drive that car at estoril and be let loose and what is actually quite an amazing thing so i kept the model um i've got a few others like that as well I think maybe a Lamborghini and something else. But I've got a Panos, which is like a weird American... The race car sort of or Jeep. a road car? Uh, it's, it's the road car. But it's, you know, it's, it's like a, a sort of a GT1 911. It's not really a road car. It's just about made road legal. Mm. Um, and, that, I, you know, I, 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 I had no idea why I went to the model shop and chose that car as a kid. I must have been 13 or something. And I remember it being expensive, like 40 quid. And I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't con- conceive of having 40 quid again in my life. I was like, am I really going to spend this much money on this model? But I just, I had to. I had no clue what the car was. But the moment I saw the model, I was like, yeah. oh, my God, I have to have it. Um, so that is the, that's the one model that I've got that I, I do sort of cherish and will hold on to. I had not come uh, And across... obviously a wheel's come off and door mirrors are gone and all that stuff. <laughs> door but, yeah. mirrors, they're just straight away. <laughs> straight away. <laughs> I came across, I had not come across Panos until I went to a, uh, what was it, sort of a Peter Auto event. And mm. there was some guys in some Panos Esperante GTR ones yeah. driving around. Yeah, yeah. And one guy had two of them. And I was just like, what? It's just mad, mad looking vehicle. <laughs> It sounds pretty badass. Yeah, I've never heard one, but I'm sure they do. Yeah, that, I mean, it does look mad, and that's, that's probably why to a 12, 13-year-old me, I was just like, oh, my God, that's the one. Yeah. Next question. How do you define what a sports car is? And I think this is sort of re- relative to you driving a V12 Ferrari, and mm. do you have a way of defining sports car? I personally add in hypercar as a separate thing and then i define sports car because but was that but what about you 
Yeah, I think it's a judgment. And I don't think you can ever define these things. It's got this much power. It weighs less than this. It costs this much. You just, because they're always changing. Yeah. But I think, I think we can all come to some sort of agreement. And I think we'd broadly agree. Like a, a, a base 911, a Carrera, that's a sports car for me. Yeah. It's not a supercar. Um, GT3? Yeah, but at, and at that point, it becomes tricky, doesn't it? I'd still have a GT3 as a sports car, I think. Oh, but then a 911 Turbo, I mean, it's... That's, oh, I don't know, it's difficult, isn't it? It's really difficult. <laughs> it's hard. I, I, it's, yeah, and I, I think, you know, it's easier with something like a, an Audi R8 even or a, a Huracan because, I mean, that's a supercar. It's mid-engine, it's yeah. got a big V10 in it. That's a supercar. But there are, there are cars that sort of straddle the the boundaries um i think all of them can be de- described as performance cars i think it's probably fair enough to look at some uh, an 812 and call it and say sports car i wouldn't i'd call it a gt or a supercar yeah. but you know if someone if a man, man in the street says that's a great sports car i think that's probably yeah. fair enough um and then yeah you've got hypercars at the top end that are but again that gets tricky you know and a an Aventador, it's got carbon tub, it's got inboard pushrod suspension. That's race car technology. Supercar. If a Huracan is a supercar, isn't an Aventador a cut above that? Isn't it something slightly different? I don't know. So it's, it's you, you just tricky. Can't, you can't define these things really. No, but I think a lot of people, and I could probably just list some cars and you would say, boom, that's what that is. Like, hmm. rather than coming up with a rule... And it's, it's yeah. something, for me, it's something about whether hypercars are made once every yeah. 10 years or something and they are okay, pinnacle and crazy then. expensive. No, uh, supercar. Ooh. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> interesting, and also, i just remove that. Just put a big X through it. Not interested. Next. That's yeah, okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I get it. Do you, does it. Is that an interesting car to you? No, it doesn't. No, no. Good because question. No, it doesn't excite me. I'd love to have a go in it. I'm, I'm sure it's bloody impressive. 765 LT, some guys in mm. America did this, is the same speed. Yeah, so what are you getting? What are you paying for? Bit of electric-only range. Maybe one day that'll be important for people who live in cities. But you get, given, you get a- given the extra engineering and weight and complexity of that thing, mm. what's it returning? You get a lot of kilos for your money. A lot of kilos. Um, very small amount of boot space. <laughs> very small amount of boot space. The seven six five LT is a really funny one when you like. You can. It's literally they've dragged them and they're basically the same. The SF ninety launches a bit faster four wheel drive, but after that, there's nothing. That McLaren it. though, it's definitely got about four thousand horsepower. They are <laughs> bonkers. They're so fast. Yeah, it's that and that car. I love that it exists and it's bonkers. And I, I, I love cars. I do like cars that are bonkers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily want to drive one every day, but I like mm. that you could have one of those in your garage and you could get in it and it's super lightweight and it's crazy horsepower and rear-wheel drive and you would get to experience that. Do you know what? You're absolutely right, okay? And the more we talk about oh, I like cars that have a plush ride and, oh, what are you doing with a 1,000 horsepower? And, you know, it's like... I sometimes have to remind myself, 
don't be such an old sod, right? Yeah. Don't stop moaning because they're, they're literally building these cars. And as long as you've got enough money, you can go and buy one. Imagine yeah. that. It doesn't matter who you are, as long as you can get an allocation, I suppose. You can go and buy one of these things and it's legal and they're allowed to build them. And I, I do have to check myself and, you know, remember that actually it's pretty cool. It's very cool. And as much as we might both say, all you need is 200 horsepower and a front-wheel drive hot hatch, like, and then you're sorted. <laughs> so like, worthy. <laughs> like, I get... Yeah, or maybe, maybe that, you know, if you've got one car, that you can have a lot of fun in that car. But if you've got two or three or five or yeah. 10 or 50, yeah. then you start, to, you start to have different experiences. And these cars yes. do all offer different experiences. SF90 is going to be a different experience to something else. I think that it's, it's diminishing returns ultimately. And so there must be a sweet spot where you're paying the right amount of money for a car that's the right size, the right weight, that's uh, got the right transmission and gearbox, it's the right price. So there's a sweet spot somewhere. And the moment you start adding twice the price, twice the power, you're not getting twice the experience, nothing like it. And I think that's what you and I are really talking about. Yeah. However, it doesn't mean that we can't appreciate something wild and really out there. It's, it, yeah, it's, it's like at no point are either of us saying a McLaren 765 LT is pointless and I'm not interested at all. Uh, or certainly I'm not. Um, but how much more expensive? It's literally 15 times the price probably of a Fiesta, maybe 10 times the price. Mm. And it's, it's nowhere near that much more fun to actually drive. No chance. And I think that's, that's just the, the point that I want to yeah. sort of And then I you can take that. The thing with the 765 is you can then take that price jump and you can go to the next level and it's like you can 10x that car mm. and, and you'd be mm. driving other cars and you go, well, now, okay, what are you chasing? Because it gets really... I, mm. In that space, there are a few cars I look at and go like, oh, just from like an engineering mm. point of view, maybe like the Koenigseggs, you go, that's just, that's just mad. And I would yeah. love to have a go in one. And if I had 50 cars, I would definitely, and the budget, I would definitely have a Koenigsegg just because, like, might mm. as well have one because it would be crazy. But like a 765LT, there's not much that's going to be faster than that. Like, no. you could also argue that there's a lot of cars that will be just as fast up to road speeds as a 765LT because it's only going to start mm. pulling away from most stuff at like 100 plus. Mm. yeah the moment you you sort of restrict these things to the public highway it just becomes such a murky world such a murky conversation um but yeah you're right the sort of two million two million quid three million quid price bracket it's just it's so far beyond the real world that i i can't really comprehend it at all and i suppose what's happened is that the market has emerged for this sort of car that they're there are now a, a group of buyers who are prepared to pay that for these vehicles. And totally. the thing is, those cars are always going to be worth that, that sort of sum of money. It's not like a, a big S-Class or whatever that suddenly just depreciates like a stone. They won't do that. And so people are prepared to keep putting their money into them. I love to sit back and watch it all unfold because we get cars like the Valkyrie. And I yeah. suspect that thing's going to be absolutely wild. And I might even get to have a go in one someday. I doubt it, but maybe... Yeah, but apart from that, you know, it's why should I get excited about those things? I'd, what concerns me more is how few really driver-focused cars there are at thirty grand. Where are they all? You know, 
Like, that, yeah. That's the price bracket There's that a few, actually excites me. There's a few. There could be more. I, I worry about the real... Where are the real driver's cars at? Sort of, I think the hypercar question also, everyone, you get this and you listen and you go, everyone has their, their sort of price bracket for a car where they just switch off almost. They, they go, oh, it's mm. interesting, but like, I'm never going to be able to buy that. Mm. So you go, and everyone has their own point on that. But I go, if I look at, let's say, a new Ferrari and go, would you like to buy one of their new cars? There's, there's cars I would like to drive. There's cars I would like to experience, like 812 GTS. I mean, that's just got to be a very nice thing to cruise around in. But mm. yes, they are driver's cars, but I would say they're, they're missing the, the manual gearbox for me. Like, <laughs> and maybe, the, maybe they make a car, maybe it's going to be the Dino or whatever, but it's 600 horsepower, it's light, it's got a manual gearbox, and it's for the driver-type person. You know, a, mm. a, another car that's similar to your GT3, manual mm. GT3, that sort of experience, maybe in a just a different take on it or whatever. But there just aren't cars like that. Everyone's just going in this power turbo race. Yeah, 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 that's right. And if you look at the interest and how, how much excitement there was around the GT3 Touring, it just I just wonder why, why aren't others doing that? And yeah, Ferrari... If they did a 100, 100 to 150 grand car, little two-seater, mid-engined, maybe even a V6, uh, manual box, that thing, there'd be such a clamour for that thing. People, people really would love it, but Ferrari has decided that it's going after other buyers. It, it might well be that they don't see enough pro- profit margin in a 100, 150 grand car. Maybe they're just not interested. Maybe they just don't need it. They don't need the volume. I wish they'd do it, though, because it would be cool. Yeah, I don't know. I think it's tricky. And I think it's tricky for, let's say, your McLaren, your Ferrari to make nowadays. Like if Porsche to make the GT3, I believe is really damn hard now. But Mm. they have the Taycans and the SUVs and the boxes and whatever, all these other cars that are going to go electric very soon. And there's still going to be 911s banging around. And they can offset as a group. Mm these slightly crazy NA engines and GT2 RSs and whatever with the rest of the group. If you're Ferrari, you can't do that mm. yet. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It's, yeah, it's weirdly easier for a slightly bigger organisation, isn't it? Like Porsche. But it does concern me. It does concern me that there are too many cars, even performance cars, that appear to be targeting the more general buyer rather than a really sort of die-hard driving enthusiast, and it does it does worry me. It does worry me. I just it, I it just means that both. people like me are going to be looking at older cars more and more, and that's okay. Yeah, because yeah, that's true. There's some great ones out there. There's some great stuff out there, and all the things most that of we them. used to get. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know whether there's enough of us. There's definitely enough. The Gordon Murray example in that mm. crazy price bracket. They've gone, it's whatever it is, 2 million euros. And mm. they filled their 250 or whatever it was they're making. I think it was like 24 hours. It was 48 hours or something. Yeah, and just gone. It's gone. And they had a list of another 150 people that wanted them. I don't think it's just because he made the F1 and mm. all that stuff. I think it's because you look at the specs of the car and, what, and you go, what's this going to be like to drive? I asked uh, Twitter and Instagram the other day, 
which do you think will be and the question was I phrased it like this which would be a better which will be a better driving experience McLaren mm. F1 T50 most people or it was I don't know it was 60-40 said T50 my answer was T50 I had some friends banging on about how older cars are better because they're <laughs> shit like you know what I mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. you drive a car from the 60s and you feel a lot more or whatever mm. but I think there's just no way that that car is designed by him to deliver the best driving experience on the road. And the F1 was designed to do the same. And this is, whatever it is, 20 years later. Like, it's going to deliver an unbelievable experience. I cannot, I can't imagine putting my foot down in that car with that engine. Mm. Yeah, it'll be wild. It'll be wild. I just, I just hope some of it rubs off, you know, this... Yeah. This return to NA, lightweight, not crazy power, manual box. I just hope it rubs off and other people look at it and go, oh, God, there's something in this. But I can't see it happening. You know, I just, like, I actually can't see it happening, particularly now that we've potentially only got 14 years of combustion engines left. Mm. I think who's, who's going to invest a huge amount into developing a NA combustion engine now and a manual gearbox now? I think that stuff has probably come to an end. Although, it, it just means it moves into a different market. And you've driven that GTO engineering car, haven't you? Yes. What was it like? It's pretty awesome. <laughs> I mean, it's, is it good to drive? Like, I, I've never, uh, no, it's, I've I, never driven like a '60s Ferrari. So I had a recreation until then, and the like empirically to drive, it's pretty crap. Like, I think that's mm. anyone that says otherwise is just clearly not driven anything in the last 40 years but yeah, yeah. so it's a bit like you go around a corner and you're like oh oh how's this mm. going and the bike's <laughs> skipping around and whatever and it's got this thin massive steering wheel that you're trying to mm. move around but you put your foot down or you change down or you blip it and that engine just the engine mm. in that car and the connect the visceral connection of that mm. with your gearbox and your feet and the reaction mm. of the three was just unreal i think you can get experiences that are very close that could be amazing Hmm. more recently but you just if you don't for me if you just if you're not pressing the clutch and doing the gear shift you can't have the same experience at road Hmm. speeds it's on the track completely different ball game yeah it's a very give me like an lmp car or whatever i I couldn't care less i don't want to change the gears don't care Hmm. just go Hmm. as fast as possible but on the road you can only go up to 60 miles an hour most of the time Mm. maybe a little bit more every now and then whatever but like the involvement of changing gears and trying Mm. to the fact that it's not easy yeah you can't get a perfect shift every time that's fun it means you might get it you get you drive the car a lot and you get better and you might be like oh i've moved from like a six out of ten to a seven out of ten oh i I totally get it like i'm much more interested in that sort of thing nowadays much more interested it's just that you know I don't know how much those things cost, but I'm not about to buy one anytime soon, sadly. But that, yeah, that's the sort of thing that I, I really I look at and go, oh, yeah, I'm into that. And there's lots of cars that... I think if you get a car with that engine in it, I'm not saying mm. that's the, necessarily the best engine in the world, but there's lots of cars with that engine in it that are significantly cheaper. They're still expensive. But they're significantly cheaper than a 250 short wheelbase. Um, yeah. I, I don't know my old Ferrari numbers, but I'm 
330 GT or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Same engine. Yeah, I don't know. It was good. The Watching Top Gear this week, saw mm. the Alphaholics car again. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That. that. Isn't it? It's just, it just seems so on point. So on point. I've had, a, I've had a quick go in that car on track, and it's, it's wicked. If you, if you really want to get busy driving and actually sort of have a bit of a wrestle with a car, it's great. It's, and it looks stunning, and it sounds fantastic, and it goes like hell even though it hasn't got bundles of power. That sort of thing, yeah, that, that's where I'm at these days. It really is. Yeah, and I, my experience recently... Um... I've driven a bunch of resto mod type stuff um, and, and I've driven different levels, I would say, of the same. So mm. I, I've got a, a backdated car mm. and I would say it's like the lower-ish levels of this incre- crazy price brackets. Um, and the difference I found between driving my car and a more expensive version, Paul Stevens. Oh, Paul Stevens, yeah. Um, yeah. I drove their car. Fundamentally... Yeah, it had some more stuff and some more tech mm. and it was designed better and whatever, but it was a very similar driving experience to my car. My, mm. The bit I took away from that was if you put the key components in, your engine of whatever horsepower, good suspension, that's pretty much it. Like you can do that. Like say you take an old Alpha. If you put decent mm. suspension in it and you have a slightly tuned up engine, you'll get a lot of the experience of these crazy high-end ones. Yeah. I know some of them, they take out so much weight. So I think the Alphaholics car, they take out a lot of weight. The Eagle, mm. they take out like 400 kilos. So you're not getting close with that experience. But mm. the 911s, you might be 100 kilos off, which is mm. still a lot, but it's, it's a lot closer. And you will get 95% of the experience. Yeah, it's the, it's the fundamentals of a car that determine the driving experience. So it's the size, it's the weight, it's the layout, it's mm. the, the drivetrain. And the fundamentals between a 20 grand 1980s 911 and a, some expensive resto mod, the fundamentals are the same. Yeah. It's just that the finishing and the, the quality of the componentry, that's what's different. And those things do make a difference and it'll make a car better to drive, but the fundamentals remain the same. And so it's not night and day at all. My friends, I might have mentioned this last time, that they've got a, a 1986 uh, 3.2 Carrera, a 911. That they, they spent 20 grand on it, and it was a big restoration project for them, and they spent years uh, getting it up to scratch, and they've still got stuff to do on it. But the fundamentals of that are the same as an expensive resto mod. Yeah. And therefore, the driving experience is fundamentally the same. And I think they probably spent 35k in total on that car. And it's gorgeous to drive not perfect you know there's a a lot that still needs Mm. to be done to it but you're getting the same basic driving experience a howling na engine a manual box unassisted steering a small compact car and it's those things that that make it great to drive yeah it's funny isn't it it's like how is all this stuff being forgotten by the automotive industry i suppose they'd say yeah but these cars are much safer they're much cleverer they're much more efficient. We're not allowed to it's, make those. They're just not yeah. allowed to make cars like that now. They're not allowed. They're not allowed. Yeah, they're legislated off the road, which is madness, really. But there we are. I, 
I would love modern cars to be able to buy a new car or new-ish that exhibited some of these things and you could have this is my like brand new from Porsche but it's kind of like an old Porsche type thing mm. but it has modern safety I would love to have modern safety in all my cars it's just, yeah. Yeah, but it yeah, just it's, comes at a weight cost particularly if you're used to modern cars like I am certainly driving an old classic you feel vulnerable and you are that vulnerable is, <laughs> you are vulnerable, and, and there's no getting around that. Like I think a lot of the rest, the good rest of the mods, they they do a lot of work on the the body structures, and they make them a lot stronger. But However, you know they don't have the enormous crumple zones. They don't have all the airbags and all that stuff, and the active sa- safety systems that modern cars have. You've still got. They might be a bit stiffer and a bit more solid, but they're solid, and you've most of them have got a Momo style steering wheel that you're going to mm. headbutt really damn mm. hard if you hit anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It's, it's, it's unarguable. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Maybe that's part of the thrill of you know. Yeah. Well, there if is something goes wrong in this car, I'm in trouble. I'll admit that. That's um, with with the forty. I was driving that yesterday. Yesterday, day before, and nice. I'm very aware in that car. If something goes wrong, one, it's unbelievably <laughs> expensive, but also, yeah. but I'm insured. But also, I think it will be really painful. I think having a crash in that car would be really painful slash possibly kill me. So there's an element of that. Like, you've got that risk factor that you have to Focuses be aware of. the mind, doesn't it? Yeah, and it makes you, makes you really think about driving. You don't take liberties. You no. don't take crazy chances. Because, yeah, and maybe that's not a bad thing at all. No. We've got so many systems now, that whether it's traction control, ESC, safety, blah, blah, yeah. blah, 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 that... Us as people that like to drive a lot and spend a lot of time driving cars on around the limit, all that sort of thing, you have an appreciation for... Someone called me out on a video in the Bentley because I drove quite fast through a puddle. And he was like, that's, <laughs> that's quite dangerous. And I was like, I understand what you're saying. But all things considered, like the tyres on the car, the weight of the car, the depth mm. of the puddle, the road I was on and the speed I was going. <laughs> like those are kind of all the things that do actually go through my brain on like some subconscious yeah. level because... I've driven down a racetrack uh, very fast and gone through a puddle on what looked like flat and had the experience of, oh, shit. Like, mm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're really pushing stuff, you start to look at what's on the road much more. And mm. the number of people now that just... You, well, I mean, why would you think about that? You wouldn't think... People that steam down a motorway at like 100 yeah, yeah. whilst chatting to someone on their phone or doing their makeup or reading a book or whatever the hell people seem to do in their Range Rovers mm. driving really fast and the car's just going like <laughs> yeah 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 just and they have no clue that if those no. systems stop doing that they're off they have yeah. no clue that they're utterly dependent on those systems yeah it's it's worth reminding ourselves of that from time to time because it's absolutely right and all this this mass that modern cars have it's all very mm. good like a bit like uh, driving with, with winter tyres or summer tyres. It's all very good. And four-wheel drive. And until, like, ice or snow, you can accelerate quite hard. You just can't mm. stop. Mm. Yeah, absolutely right. That's a perfect example. Yeah, you'll be going along thinking, oh, this is fine. What are people complaining about? This snow is not going to stop me. And then you have to try and brake for a junction. Yeah. And the car sails on. <laughs> it just keeps going. For like miles yeah. and miles and miles. And, and there's nothing you can do. You can maybe jump out. But apart from that, there's nothing you can do. <laughs> if you were going to modify your A110, hmm. would you, what would you 
modify? Is there if there was one mod you would do? Oh, I don't want to get stuck into this too much, but I I'm on a I'm trying to figure out at the moment exactly what's going on because my car doesn't ride, and this goes back to what we've been talking about, as fluidly as the best A110s I've driven. And I've driven a lot now. And it seems to me that there's quite a lot of variability between individual cars. Okay. And I, th- I think that spec-wise they are identical, but I think there's quite a lot of um, tolerance in the dampers. I think the, 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 they're actually quite cheap damper units, and I think there's quite a lot of margin between yeah. a good one and a poor one. And, and I think it makes, in that car, I think it makes an enormous difference. So I think mine is a bit more brittle than it should be, and it's been back to Alpine to, for them to have a look at. I even changed the springs and dampers for the springs and dampers that came off Litchfield's car because yeah. he's put his on custom aftermarket suspension. Yeah. So I put his on mine and it made a bit of an improvement. I think soon uh, a, a proper chassis engineer is going to help me effectively measure the, the, the damper rate measure what is, is going on, with, like quantify what's going on within the dampers, make sure that they're as, as they should be, because th- there's something not quite right about it. So if I was going to modify my car, I would do whatever it took to really make it ride the way it should do. I, I mean, it is, it's very good compared to most cars of that ilk, but I'm, just, I'm convinced that there's a bit more brittleness, it, it's yeah. a bit more wooden than it should be. And so I just want to do whatever it took to make it like the best A110s I've driven. Um, it is a frustration. Like it, they, should, they should be the same. You, know, you should drive one car and know that the one you buy will be the same. It's not like a, you've driven one in a certain country on a certain road versus the other. No. No. Interesting. There's a, there's a car on the press fleet. It's a, it's a white one that they've had for a while and it rides beautifully. And I just said to them, I'm going to send you my car. Just swap the suspension. I know you're selling the white one soon. Just, just give me the suspension before you sell it. And for all sorts of reasons, they can't do it. But yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it is it isn't annoying. Um, and I'm going to do what it whatever it takes to get to the bottom of that because I just want my car to ride the way it should do. It might be that I have to go to Licho and he's he's done a, a tuning a, a suspension upgrade for it, and I might have to spend a load of money on that. Um, to get it riding really beautifully. And it's not just ride, it's not just comfort, it's the way it deals with bumps when you're driving yeah. fast. That's what I want it to do. I mean, it would be annoying if I had to go and spend a load of money to make that happen, but I'm prepared to do it because I want it to be just right. So it's weird, you know, that people say that the chassis on that car is brilliant and the drivetrain is what sort of inhibit, in, inhibits it a little bit. But if I was modifying my car, I'd get to work on the chassis and make it as good as I could. And then maybe later on, map the engine, give it a bit more power, maybe a, a you know, trick exhaust or whatever. But at the moment, I just, I'm not worried about that stuff. See, I had one for a week. Yeah. One of the guys, oh, absolutely forgotten his name. Uh, I think the head chap in the marketing department listened to the podcast, so hello. Ma- Matt yes. Bendel. He's yes, left Matt. now, but yeah, he's a good lad. Um, and he arranged for me to have one for a week. And... I had heard, the thing I think I had when I drove the car, I'd heard all of this stuff about how amazing Hmm. the chassis and ride were in sort of overall. And that just wasn't my impression straight away driving Hmm. the car. Low speed, Hmm. absolutely not. Like, 
really quite stiffly kind of like bouncing around mm. whatever faster much better i still didn't i, I don't know why i had this sort of external influence of going mm. this is going to be the most amazing handling everything car and then i drove it and i was like it's very good mm. but i think it could be better sort of thing yeah well i think I, I saw which car you had it was the dark blue one wasn't it mm. and clearly that's just not one of the best ones and i've I've driven um, the, my dealership's demonstrator car a couple of times. Actually, a couple of different cars. One was good, one was bad. That's so weird. Um, it's, there's honestly enormous variability between them. If you can, have a go in that white one that they've got. Oh, they might have got rid of it now, actually. But that one is one of the best that I've driven. And it's, it's just weird. There's just something about some of these cars... And to be honest, it's probably close to 50-50 good ones to not-so-good ones. Yeah. Um, but it, it, is, it is a shame that they're not all good ones. They should be, really. They should be. Um, and I think Alpine needs to look into that. And I've spoken to a few owners who have said, so does your car ride as well as you think it should? And I've said, actually, it doesn't. Um, and so I, th- I think there might be an emerging sort of issue for, for Alpine to address here because people like me back in 2018 said it was the best thing ever. And now I've driven quite a few. And the way I sort of explain it to myself is if my car was representative of every other A110, it wouldn't have the reputation that it does have for being this wonderfully composed, fluid, Mm. compliant chassis. It wouldn't have that reputation. So there's something going on. There is something going on. And I think it's to do with a high tolerance in the, the damper units. Although I can't, yeah. I can't back that up at all. It's just a Some, just There's a something going on, and they're not all mm. the same, and it's a bit, yeah. it's a bit weird. Yeah. I mean, my, so, my car's still great. I still, it, you know, I genuinely love it. It's brilliant. I love hooning around in it, but it could be better, and I will do what it takes to make it as good as I think it yeah. should be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got all the right ingredients. It just needs some oh, final, that's right. yeah, final that's right, tweaking. Yeah. Um, someone had a question. They said they're curious about how reviewers feel about cars from their own homeland. And are they biased? Mm. Are you biased about UK cars? I know how I feel about this. Well, it, it's obvious that we're not because Porsches just win everything, <laughs> don't they? Don't they? Their <laughs> praise is heaped on them endlessly. And they're from Germany. I'm not from Germany. Yeah. So, no, I, I, don't, I don't think there is any bias there. I've bought a French car because I love it. I love lots of German cars. No, I, I, I don't think... I don't think I particularly want British cars. I don't go into a test of a British car going, oh, I hope this one's really good because it comes from my home country. I'd, I'd, people might not believe that, but I honestly think it's neutral. I just, I just don't really think about it. Yeah, I think there's other countries that that might be more strongly felt, but I, I personally, on UK brands, couldn't mm. care less. Like, I, no. there's, there's aspects, for example, Aston Martin. I... Mm at some point in time would love to own an Aston Martin because I love like Mm. Aston Martin historically. It's like, it's just an amazing British brand. And I would, I would possibly say similar about Bentley, but not for me, Bentley's like old, like Mm. not the company's old, but the cars that I look at from Bentley and go, they're really cool. are generally the really old ones back when they were doing, you know, F1 type stuff. Um, But no, like I don't look at any new, no, I don't look at any new British cars and go, ooh, yes. Mm. Yeah, sadly, it's true. I, you know, and if I drive one and it's disappointing, 
I'll say so. I'll be absolutely forthright and honest about that. It might be that, no, it, it, it makes no difference to me if it's, if it's good or if it's bad, and I don't go into a test hoping that it'll be one thing or the other. I'll just drive it and tell you what I think. Mm. Who's the fastest out of <laughs> you, Harris, Dickie and Frankel was the question. Oh, God. Well, not me. No, those boys are fast. What about a sprint Those race? boys are... Those, well, yeah, there we go. Different yeah. matter. Uh, Harris can move, actually. <laughs> he can move. Um, no, uh, who's quickest? Uh, I think based on no, it, it's Dickie or Harris. Those boys are honestly. If they'd had the opportunities when they were younger and and committed themselves to it, they could have had pro careers. There's no doubt about it. Um, Andrew is a very very good driver. I don't think he's got the ultimate pace of the other two. I don't know. Maybe he has. I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to see it happen one day. I'd give it my best shot and come up last, but I wouldn't <laughs> disgrace myself. I think <laughs> you've always got a chance any given day. Yeah, yeah. I did. The one time I've been up against the stopwatch against Dickey was an Evo away day in 2014. We went. The whole staff went up to Blyton Park, um, and we we did. I had a. A course of VXR long-termer at the time and so we chose a little corner of Blyton Park where they had a little handling circuit and we all did one lap in my car and Jethro was fastest and then I was second and then Henry was third and Dickie was fourth and it's like a couple of tenths of a second between us all but obviously I was like faster than Dickie <laughs> I don't even care that Jethro beat me I was like come on and obviously, I was the only one taking it seriously, and Dickie wasn't trying whatever. But yeah, it was the one time we'd been up against each other against a stopwatch. But no, in in a proper car on a fast circuit, he'd he'd muller me. There's no no doubt. He does a ton of racing now, doesn't he? Well, so much, so much racing. Now, but yeah, yeah. No, those boys, they do. They they really do. And I've done a bit, but no, really not very much at all. Well. I normally wrap these up with five questions, but since you've been on before, there will not be five questions. But some of them are still applicable, I think. Five car garage, and I, I have no idea what you said last time. So, yeah, it, no, it, nor do I. Which, it'll it'll be totally different, and I'll, I'll expose myself as being a total fraud because it's changed. And it doesn't matter. Oh, it changes God. every day, every minute. It, yeah, it does. It does. It does. It, I have been thinking about this today, actually, and I can't remember what I said last time. I think I had a GT3 Touring in there, and I'd still have that. That would be my car, my everyday car. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I want a Range Rover in there because you need to tow, and you need to, you need, you know, a bad weather car, and you need a family car. Yeah. I still want to go racing at Goodwood, but I've progressed. I think I had a Lotus Cortina last time. This time I'm going to have something a bit hairier, maybe an E-Type of some sort or a Cobra. Mm-hmm. Something that will frighten me to death, but which I can race with a mate. You know, I'd get, yeah. I'd get like Marino Franchitti or someone to be my teammate, and he'd show me how to drive this car, and I'd just have the best time hanging out with him for a weekend at Goodwood, scaring myself half to death for half the race, and then handing it to him and saying, All "Right, you, off you go." Yeah, I'd love doing that. I'd love it. Okay, and I need a, I need a rally car. Uh, at the moment, I think I want a late 90s WRC car. So four-wheel drive. I think probably a Subaru. Mm. Um, but it's a H-pattern gearbox. Yeah, so the, the Impreza, the 
was it? I think it was the 97 car, the 98 car, with the two-door body shell and the big blister arches. Yeah. Uh, I've got one more, haven't I? Mm. Uh, I need a classic. No, I'd, I, had a, I had a Singer DLS last time, and I think I'm still going to have one of them because Imogen works for them, and she yeah. specs cars with... Have a look. Oh, there you go. That, that, that's her spec kit there. Oh, nice. That's, that thing behind me is every published paint colour ever. <laughs> it, there's a sample of it in there, in those two sort of cabinet things. Um, so we have all these samples around the flat. So, it, yeah, that would just be a special thing to spec a DLS with her. And then that would be my... I wouldn't have a hypercar, but that would be my crazy expensive thing that I yeah. only used occasionally. That's five, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's five. And only two 911s. And only two that's 911s. <laughs> You could just fill it with 911s, couldn't you? You could, you, you very easily could. Very easily could. Um, you could only drive one car for the rest of your life, and you're allowed a £500 banger on the side. I think I said the same last time, GT3 Touring. That hasn't changed. It's just, just ticks every box. It does. And it's it's such a dull answer, but, you know. I saw one today. It's an honest answer, though. Mm. I saw a silver one today, and I was like, mm. still looks good. They're great. They're great, aren't they? Most uh, okay, best value car under fifty k. I I do think that early R eights are a bit undervalued at the moment. They might start creeping up a bit. I th- actually no, I think they will start creeping up a bit soon because there's enough praise for them, for them out there. They were enough of an it car at the time. They're good enough. They were brilliant enough to drive, uh, and they won't make another one like it. So I think if I could afford to run one, I'd have one. But I think servicing, fuel, tyres, all that stuff yeah. would actually be a bit painful for me. Yeah, sink 40k or something into one of those, and I think your money would be pretty safe. I found out this week, and I didn't know you could do this, that you can disconnect the front diff, essentially, uh, on an R8, and it takes about two hours to do the complete conversion of taking it from four-wheel drive to rear-wheel drive. And it's minimal. Really? It's like, really, you just need the bit to cap off the gearbox and that's it and it's it takes literally it's like two hours and it costs like 400 quid that would be pretty compelling Which, well there you go that's that, that's great you could you could have a four-wheel drive 911 through the winter and then do yeah. that mod every every spring and then <laughs> reverse it come autumn that'd be great yeah i'm into that but yeah apparently 911s are a lot trickier a lot trickier r8 super easy hurricane really easy that's interesting. I wonder why that is. No idea. The level of engineering. <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. No, no. There's got to be something. I don't, it's got to be something to do with layout gearbox. <laughs> I don't know. No idea. Yeah, something complicated. Yeah, something talent. that I have no idea about. Most interesting car to you at the moment? Fiesta ST edition. Genuinely. Fiesta ST edition. <laughs> Genuinely. It just, it just embodies what I increasingly want in a, in a performance road car. It's just, it's all wrapped up in that package. And it takes it to the nth degree. Yeah, that. I, I just think everyone who engineers cars to be driven by car enthusiasts should have a good go in one of those and just be reminded of what it is that makes a car rewarding to drive on the public highway. And that part is so key. Like, mm. It's got to be rewarding on the road. Because it's a totally different matter driving on track. Totally different matter. Yeah. And if it's brilliant to drive on track, it's just not going to be that great on the road. Or, okay, 
It won't oh, be that no, quick. I can't back that up. It will be, <laughs> yeah, it will be, it will be compromised. Yeah, because setting up a car for the track is not how you set up a car for the road. They are so no. different. It will beat you up. And you just get into any race car and you go, oh, I wouldn't want to drive that on the road. No. No, Henry said that, didn't he, about that rally car that he had. It's, yeah. Yeah, he said it's actually just a pain because it's so loud and uncomfortable and you, you, know, you can't hear yourself think. Yeah, and you just immediately regret that decision. Cool. Well, thanks very much for coming on the podcast again. Not at all. Thank you for having me back. I think it's the ultimate compliment getting invited back again because... <laughs> Well, if you only do a podcast once, it's, it's true. You know, you're, you're sort of left hanging. You're like, uh, is that any good? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Am so I going to get that call again? Back. I've seen he's had other people. <laughs> I'd take the mick out of Harris for only appearing on the Joe Rogan show once. And he, oh, right, every yeah. time I tease him about it, he shows me screen grabs or he shows me his Twitter DMs of Rogan saying, you can come back anytime you like. And I'm just like, you've only been on once. <laughs> yeah no cool well i'm very much looking forward to you and by the time this comes out we will see the yeah. whole new intercooler app and yeah all of that stuff so i'm looking forward yeah to it. and and we'll have some idea of how it's been received if you want to know more you can find us on instagram at the intercooler or theintercooler.co.uk. just check it out see what you think cool thanks very much Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.